Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the co-founder of Trail Fork, Lillian Hoods. Lillian, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, thanks for um, thinking of us and having me on. Definitely. All right, so for the listener who has yet to hear about Trail Fork, how would you best describe your business to them? Yeah, so we have two um, kind of sister product lines. The first one that we launched with in 2017 was this customized meal box. So um, you'll go on our website, enter in your trip information, your weight, your dietary preferences, um, how long you'll be out on the trail, and then we send all of your dehydrated food supplies to you. Um, Based on those meal kits, we kind of picked out our favorite and most successful recipes and launched those as a standalone retail line. So those are like kind of the more standard meals that you could pick off the shelf. So how did you get into this? What made you decide to start Trail Fork? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of a lot of things in my life just sort of came together at the right moment. I had thought of the idea, I guess I'd been sitting on it for a few years. The initial idea came to me in 2013. I was doing a lot of backpacking and, um, the meal planning for anybody who's done it, it will know that it's kind of a bear. It's hard. Um, you have to get like the right nutritional balance with the actual weight in your pack. And it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and I just really wasn't satisfied with anything that was available. Um, I've always been pretty conscious of what I eat and, um, I like food a lot and I enjoy eating. Um, so I, I just wasn't really finding what I as a customer wanted. And then this was right maybe a little bit before all of this sort of the personalization indirect consumer businesses really, really started to take off. So it was before blue apron or, um, those sorts of things, but it was really in the air that that's where it looked like stuff was starting to go. And I just sort of thought I want an app on my phone where I can just order this stuff and somebody would send it to me. Cause it's, it took me hours to plan out the food for these trips. So I kind of, I, I sat on that for a while. I taught high school before I started trail fork and I had no actual, um, idea that I would actually go and start the business. Um, until 2017, I was, um, working in San Francisco or rather I was working in Silicon Valley. I was living in San Francisco, still teaching high school. Um, and I, my now fiance was either going to move out to San Francisco or I was going to move to, um, live with him in Boulder, Colorado. 
Um, and eventually we were just sort of like, you should move out to Colorado and start the backpacking food thing. Um, I was living in San Francisco where everybody has a startup. So there was a, there was a way in which it felt very normal to start a business, um, being surrounded by the people that I was surrounded by. Um, and I was living with, uh, my roommate at the time, he worked in consumer packaged goods and his boyfriend worked in, um, software for a startup. And I remember we were sitting around and like having dinner or something. And I was complaining about work and said, well, I'm just going to leave and start my backpacking food company. And, um, they sort of looked at me and they're like, you know, what, what do you mean backpacking food company? So I explained the customized meal box, um, idea. And I could see on both of their faces, they like by the end of the meal, they were like, okay, let's just stay up all night and like plan this out. And that was really the first time that I'd had somebody who wasn't like related to me say that it was a good idea. Um, and with that, I, you know, I had this kind of pull force to Boulder and didn't have a teaching job lined up and just kind of went for it. That was a very long winded answer, but yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> Okay. So you make the decision, you make the leap, you move out to Colorado. What happened next? How long did it take you to really uh, fine tune the product and then just getting the business off the ground? What was that like? I think I got to Colorado. I think I got to Colorado like the very end of May and I formed an LLC on, I believe the 6th of June 2017. So I had a legal entity within a couple of weeks of getting there. Um, and I just kind of, I dove right into it. I, so I've since learned that there are a couple of different routes to developing and launching a product. You can either, um, spend like years in research and development, um, product testing, market testing, um, and reiterating before you even launch the business. Um, and on the other hand, you can take the minimum viable product tack, which I guess is more common in tech and software where you just develop the minimum viable product, you get it to the market and based on customer feedback, you just start iterating, um, and making improvements. And without really knowing it, that was the approach that I took because there wasn't anybody else on the market doing anything like this. It was a unique product and I couldn't find a business model for it. So I really felt like I just need to, I need to try, try it out, see how it works. And then based on that initial attempt, then sort of try to codify the processes and, and build the business around that initial attempt. So I pulled some money out of my retirement account. Um, I maxed out a credit card and I just bought a bunch of dry food <laughs> and like, and Kristen designed a website and actually so the website launched, um, beginning of August of 2017, and we had sales, um, by the beginning of September, um, without any marketing or anything. I mean, I had an Instagram feed, but I wasn't going out and paying for ads or anything like that. So it seemed that we were getting positive feedback right away. That's really awesome. Okay. So how, how long did it really take you like, do you have any experience with sort of like, obviously you're, you get into the back country and you did a lot of this meal prep stuff on your own, but sort of doing it on a mass scale, did you have any idea what you were in for and kind of like really getting this rolling? No, Josh, I, I had no 
effing clue. <laughs> and looking back now, I'm thinking, I can't believe that I haven't screwed this up yet because I just don't, I have no experience whatsoever. I, um, I can cook and I had made my own food for the backcountry before, but in my mind, I thought, well, like I know how business works. Like I give you a product and you give me money and everything's hunky dory. I, really feel like that was my entire vision of how things would work. And so I was kind of, I was building the plane as I was in the air, really and truly. Um, I'm very good at Googling. Um, I'm very good at research and I'm a pretty good, I'm pretty good at teaching myself stuff and teaching myself stuff quickly. Um, but I, I truly didn't know what I didn't know. And I'm, st- I still feel like I'm in that position on a daily basis. And I feel like that's everyone <laughs> building a business. Um, okay. So it, 2017 is when you launch it. What, what was the growth like up until now in 2019? Um, so I really didn't have ambitions to take it beyond just me making these bespoke meal kit boxes, um, sort of made to order, um, until I did a pop-up event. So I realized that people were going to need to try the food and hear about the brand before they would go online and buy food for a big trip of theirs, which seems obvious, but to me, the high school teacher, I didn't realize that that's how marketing worked. So I went, walked into a Lululemon here in Boulder and I asked if, um, if they had events coming up that I could sample at and they did. Um, and so I sampled this meal we have called paleos, which is essentially a grain free vegan hot cereal and people loved it. And it was the first time that I had realized like that the individual meals themselves might be attractive to people and not just the concept of the meal supply. Um, and when I started to, when I started to catch on to that, I decided that I would do more and more of these little pop-up shops, um, which was really just a demo table where I'd sell things. So like I parked out in front of the Athleta on Pearl street, um, the guys at Topo designs on Pearl street in Boulder, let me, let me set up a pop-up and I would just kind of carry around a box of food and a little camp stove and sample it. And I would sell the meals for five bucks a piece. And I didn't, again, really didn't think that that would be a standalone product. It was just a way for people to try the meals that would be in these meal kit boxes. Well, by doing that, um, Boulder's a pretty small town, um, especially, um, kind of the retail outdoor industry community and the marketing, um, the marketing guy, Sky Haberfield at Neptune Mountaineering, which is like kind of an old venerable, um, mountaineering store here in Boulder. Um, he said, do you guys have a retail product line? I think we'd like to pick it up. And we didn't. Um, but I really quickly tried to like figure out how pricing worked and how, how mass producing something like that would work. turns out it's very different than doing a made to order service. Um, but we kind of got something together pretty quickly and we were on shelves with them in March of 2018. Um, so that was our first retail account. They're still kind of our, our first, our first friends that way. Um, but the growth really happened when, um, 
a guy, a friend of mine from high school who came on really on really early on as an investor and advisor, his name's Scott Frank. Um, he was super interested and he was like, we should go to outdoor retailer. I love going to outdoor retailer. We'll meet a lot of people. It'll be great. Um, all I had were postcards. I don't even know if I had business cards at that point. Um, this was January, 2018. And if you or any of your listeners have been to outdoor retailer, you'll know that they start serving beer at like two. <laughs> they do. Yes. <laughs> so we were like wandering around and Scott's like schmoozing people and I'm super awkward at that sort of thing. So I was, you know, being awkward and got a couple of beers in order to get over that a little bit. And I was standing, I remember in the big Agnes section, and I heard this guy talking about how he worked at REI headquarters in uh, Washington. And I kind of stalked him around the facility a little bit and um, finally approached him and said, I've got this food product and we would be really perfect for REI. Well, this is January of 2018 and we did not actually have a food product, (laughs) Um, but I thought, whatever, I know someone in Delaware, um, that whatever, you know, I've got some IPA in my system and I'm feeling confident. So he sort of rolled his eyes, but eventually gave me his email address and I followed up and it turned out that REI has this program called the Innovator Summit, where they'll bring new and emerging brands to the Kent campus in Washington and allow them to pitch to buyers. You have to create a video and fill out the application and everything. So we went ahead and did that and got invited to, to pitch at headquarters. Um, super exciting, just like the best email I've ever gotten. I think it was April of that year. Um, so Scott and I went up to, to Washington. We brought some food samples. They asked questions about like, what's the velocity? What's your best seller? Like, what are your margins? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I have no idea what you're might as well be speaking in Italian. Cause I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but I found out a month later that they were going to take the product on. So by May of 2018, so less than a year after we started, we were in 10 different REI locations. Um, and then since then, we've just been able to leverage that growth to basically fuel more growth. I mean, we've expanded our presence with REI. We've also been able to build some really great relationships with smaller retailers, um, as well as our direct-to-consumer business. So we kind of got our big break, I guess, is how I'd describe it. And things have kind of been we've experienced sort of exponential growth since then. That's really awesome. Okay. So you launched with the meal kit, which obviously is an incredibly unique, um, business, especially like in the outdoor space when it comes to, um, food supporting your outdoor activities. Now, in terms of the products that you're selling in REI, how would you like, what do you think really differentiates you from a lot of the other, um, food based outdoor brands? Yeah. So I'm trying to think of a way to say this that doesn't sound snarky, but our, I, I sort of designed these recipes and tested them off trail before I tested them on the trail. And that meant that we didn't launch anything that I didn't like eating at home. And I think sometimes with um, dehydrated food and freeze dried stuff, you really have to have been hiking for 13 miles before it's tasty. Um, right, right. And so my, my idea was like, you know, if I don't want to eat this on a normal day, I don't want to eat it when I'm out, like in the middle of Yosemite, enjoying this like beautiful landscape and having the time of my life. And now I'm eating the equivalent of fast food. So it's really a kind of a premium food product we shoot for. Um, 
they're also really big portions. Another thing that I was, um, pretty dissatisfied with, with the existing products available, um, was that you might get a package that had quote unquote, two servings in it, but each serving has 250 calories. And I don't know about you, but if I'm on a backpacking trip, I'm probably eating about twice as much as I normally eat. Um, right. So we, we kind of made our portions, we designed the portion sizes accordingly. Um, so I think it's better food. It's bigger portions. And we're also aiming to go hundred percent organic by 2020. Right now, we, I, I'd say Audrey's in the next room and she'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're about 50% organic and everything is either vegan, vegan or vegetarian. Um, and then the last thing is our packaging. We're the only product on the market that's a hundred in a hundred percent biodegradable packaging. Yeah. That leads me on to my next question <laughs> talking about sustainability. Um, wow. okay. So obviously in being an outdoor company, it's something that's front and center. Um, when you got started, what made you decide, uh, to really make this a focus and, I guess a follow-up question is, why do you think that you guys are the only ones offering a bio, 100% biodegradable packaging um, for your product and others aren't really doing the same? Yeah, and those answers are pretty closely connected. Um, so the the compostable packaging was uh, really a given from the start. So I mentioned I was living with um, this friend in San Francisco and we had these upstairs neighbors. She worked at, she had worked in marketing at Procter & Gamble and he was a management consultants. So actually they were super good resources to just kind of ping it around with or ping the idea around with. Um, and as I was describing to the product to them, I said, well, and it's going to be in biodegradable packaging. I mean, it was not even, it, that was part of the idea since the, from the very beginning, it was kind of baked into it. And the reason was I have a really clear memory actually of going, I was on a backpacking trip in the wind rivers in Wyoming and I had brought another like off the shelf meal. And they, you know, they come in those heavy mylar pouches. And I thought, here I am in this beautiful place. And I've got this plastic that I can't even stick in the recycling bin when I get back to the trailhead. It was just so, there was so much cognitive dissonance there. And I felt so guilty about it that I just wasn't going to design a product that put more plastic into the environment. Now your question about why we're the only one that only company that does that. Um, I think the fact that it's been part of the product since the beginning has meant that we baked the cost of it into, into the, our cost of goods sold and into our margins. Um, biodegradable packaging is really expensive. Um, I don't know exact numbers because I, we've never bought plastic packaging before, but as I've shopped around for it, we're probably paying 10 or 20 times as much for an individual. Wow. Yeah. I like, didn't realize it was that much more. It's much more expensive. Um, and so that just increases the cost of goods and it cuts into your margins. And I think if you're an established business that's been using plastic and that's baked into your costs, I, I would imagine it would be pretty hard to go in the other direction. You'd have to do some pretty, pretty big overhaul. Um, so the fact right, that it's right. been part of our business model since the beginning, I think gives us a little bit of a leg up. Now, was it hard to um, find a good supplier um, for this kind of packaging? Because I've always heard uh, like a lot of businesses are like, oh, it's so hard to find quality biodegradable packaging that lasts yep. or just performs at like an equal level to typical plastic. It is super hard. Um, I mean, it's like by definition, it's supposed to break down, right? And plastic is not. Um, 
So we went, we worked with one supplier uh, for a while and we were, I mean, after probably six or seven months, I guess by the time we got picked up by REI. So yeah, six or seven months, we'd been in business for that long and we were just unhappy with, with the quality and they had, they were not at really the kind of scale we needed. Um, I shopped around a little bit more and I found a supplier that we've, we've been really happy with, but they still are, it's not a plastic pouch. Um, they're a little bit more delicate They're They require, you can't like jump on them or throw them into a volcano, like expect that they (laughs) exist at the end of that. But, um, it is super tough. Um, there, I think there are more and more companies. I I think, you know, if anybody out there is interested in getting into packaging, I think it's a growth industry. Oh yeah. Uh, I agree with you completely. Yeah. So I think the market's going that way, but right now it is still early and it's so much cheaper to use plastic. I think it's probably a lot cheaper to produce plastic. So, yeah, it's so true. Um, and, and I noticed the other thing is when you make the food in the pouches, you have to, you, you don't eat it inside of the packaging, right? Like I know a lot of other, if you use plastic or other sort of non-biodegradable uh, products, you can do that, which, you know, in my mind is an easy trade-off, right? <laughs> yeah, Protecting and, the environment versus being able to eat it in the package. <laughs> totally. And I feel that way too. There are people, and I sympathize in particular with people who are real like alpine mountaineers where you right, right, you right. Have to be super light. I will say, and I... I know this is being recorded, but I'm going to say off the record anyway. Um, Our brand ambassadors seem to all cook in the bags. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you didn't hear it from me, but it (laughs) seems to be possible. I know that you can cold soak in the bag. So like I like to eat our hummus for lunch. Um, So you can like combine, combine it with cold water in the morning. And by the afternoon, you'll have like a chilled hummus. Um, it's just that they're not insulated like another company might be. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. So, um, well, good to you, know. <laughs> I direct to some ambassadors who might uh, give you more information. I probably shouldn't say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, what would you say has been the hardest part uh, about uh, getting Trail Fork off the ground? Oh, man. Um, the hardest part is how. It's a very vulnerable position to be in the entrepreneur slash business owner. It feels like you constantly, the the awareness that you have constantly have something very important at risk. It can be really like psychologically taxing. So the logistics of the business have been really fun for me. Um, Even the financial part has been fun. It's this feeling like you're constantly like you, you, like you constantly have everything on the line. It's just really, it takes, it takes a certain thickness of skin that I guess I didn't realize I had. I, so it makes me think my dad builds, um, he builds wooden boats, like really beautifully, like meticulously crafted sailboats and dories and stuff. And it's sort of like what I would imagine taking that out on like the open ocean would be like, like sailing on the open ocean is intimidating anyway, but then to be doing it with something that you've, that is like a product of your blood, sweat and tears, um, it makes it that much more terrifying. So like living with that 
level of angst is maybe not something I had expected, but I would actually say that that's probably the hardest part because you have to do all of the normal functions of running a business while feeling like, Very oh my God, <laughs> this is my baby and I'm putting it at risk all the time. So yeah. I know how you feel. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, you know, just having a regular job would be so much less stressful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah. But, you know, that's the price, you know, it's uh, it's the way it works. And um, it's a lot of fun. Sometimes it's stressful, but most of the time it's it's worth it. <laughs> it's just it like becomes it becomes addicting because the successes feel so meaningful and like way more meaning. I mean, I loved teaching. I, I really enjoyed the kids and it is a really meaningful line of work. But my successes in this business feel so deeply personal and. um so exciting that it kind of makes the rest of it worth it for me. Yeah, no, I feel uh, very similarly. Um, what would you say have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made thus far? I guess I'd like, I would say get back to me in like 10 years. Um, <laughs> cause I, I can't really tell how we've been in business for such a short amount of time that I can't tell what the long-term impacts of a lot of the moves that we've made have been. Um, so far, we've been able to learn and change really on a dime. Um, I think that's a result of being so small and we are run very lean. We don't have a bunch of additional overhead. Um, so when we make a mistake, it's pretty easy to course correct. You know, maybe we pull our hair out for 24 hours, but we can kind of get back on track. So there hasn't been anything, I'm going to knock on wood, um, that's totally tipped us over yet. Well, that's well, I really, yeah, I do wish I had done. No, I'm going to. Okay. Well, so we did recover from this one, but it was a pretty big, uh, it was a pretty big goof. Um, I, as I said, we, I, we kind of pitched to REI without me having much awareness of what, for example, retail markups needed to look like. And retail pricing looks really different from pricing for a direct to consumer business. Um, so I quoted REI a bunch of prices that made sense if we were selling direct to consumer, but then, um, that friend of mine from San Francisco looked at our margins and was like, you're going to go out of business tomorrow if this is what you're selling, selling it to them for. And so I had to go back to REI after closing that deal and say, we need to double our wholesale prices. Oh, that must have been a fun conversation. <laughs> They're lovely. They were so understanding. Um, I think they they went into the relationship knowing that I was a noob and they were they were really supportive, but it could have gone the other way. They could have been real jerks about it. Fortunately they were not. But so I would do I would say, you know, if you're going into this and you want to avoid a certain mistake, I would just really be really clear about pricing and what things are costing you and yeah, when it comes to manufacturing things, especially as you grow, it's so hard to like accurately predict that because there are different pieces that can change. You know, like you're saying, you guys changed your uh, packaging supplier. Like mm. now those numbers are different. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like being able to like accurately guesstimate that is so hard, especially as you grow. And so many businesses, while they like are growing and seemingly popular and have a great product, they go out of business because they screwed that piece up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not just about having a great product. Well, that's most important. All the other pieces also have to be uh, 
working smoothly. <laughs> yeah. And that when you are just sort of flying by the seat of your pants, like I was for the first year and a half, um, it can be, I, like I said, I'm just shocked that I didn't send us into the red, um, because it does require such specific attention to, to costs and margins and profits and losses. And, um, again, I, I didn't quite know what I needed to be looking for, but fortunately I was surrounded by people who did know and they were willing to answer questions. That's very, very helpful. (laughs) Um, so where do you see trail fork in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Um, so I had a, I had really wanted to hire our initial founding group and not just our, like Kristen and I, um, Kristen being the design creative director and branding person, but I wanted to hire this small group of investors and collaborators because I felt like we, they were all just like such smart, motivated interesting people. And if I could have like all of their powers combined, we would like, you know, who knew what we were capable of. Um, and so my goal really right now is to grow large enough that to where I can build that core team, um, without having to take on outside capital. So that probably looks like tripling in size within the next year, which based on our current, our growth numbers over the first couple of years, doesn't seem crazy from there. Um, I think our real goal internally is to be the, the outdoor food brand with sort of the highest customer affinity. Um, I don't know that we would necessarily want to take over the world with our, um, our footprint, but what we do want is to be rated on a 10, like a net promoter score of like, we want people to feel really, really like close to the brand. Um, so if I can grow us big enough to where I can get sort of the brain power and creativity of this initial group that um, kind of came together and some of our investors and bring them on board full time. I think that's where we want to really try to direct our energy. And and growth is good for us because there's intrinsic benefit due to our packaging. I mean, um, the fact that every pouch of trail fork sold means that there's a, a food product out there that isn't plastic packaged in plastic, we feel like we're able to do an intrinsic good by just selling the stuff. So, so growth, um, is kind of good for us and good for the planet. And that was another long winded response, but I love it. (laughs) So what's the best part about running trail fork? Um, the best part is just having total autonomy. I would say I, I have learned throughout this process that I'm a terrible employee <laughs> and I was never meant to have a boss. <laughs> I'm like too willful and um, I kind of bristle at people telling me what to do. And so being able to come into the office and have goals that I have set and values that I want to live in line with and just being able to do that is so, so, so liberating. And I'm sure other entrepreneurs that have been on your podcast and are listening would say the same thing. It's just, it's super satisfying. Um, and I've also been able to build a business that is the kind of business that I wanted to exist. So like we take care of our employees and, um, we're producing a product that we don't think damages the environment and we're creating great relationships with customers. So just like getting to kind of live that out is just, I can't imagine doing it another way. I love that. I can just hear the passion, um, behind the brand and just hearing you talk about 
the journey, where you guys are going, and what's in store for the future. Now, um, for anyone who's listening between April 30th and May 28th, they can actually enter to win um, some meals from Trail Fork along with a ton of other product from up-and-coming brands in the outdoor space. Just head over to readyeddy.com for your chance to uh, to win that. And with that, um, Lillian, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast, share the story of Trail Fork, and I'm really excited to see what you guys do in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.